Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, and one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football! On the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at GridironGreatsMagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards, for one of the largest selections of football cards and memorabilia on the web. Check out their website at MSBSportsCards.com. Now, we're also sponsored in part by BST Auctions. Make sure you check out their website for their upcoming auction at BSTAuctions.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, who's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football <laughs> memorabilia historian specializing in free World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails yeah. from Portland, Oregon, the one and the only, Mr. Joe Squire. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Loving that intro, Captain. Absolutely love it. Thank you very much. Absolutely happy to be back. Hope you had a Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas to our listeners and a Happy New Year coming up. And it uh, was a very festive time here at the compound yesterday with the, the, the uh, nieces and nephews and boyfriends and girlfriends and everybody else who came over and, and, and partook of a festive Christmas meal <laughs> with the traditional picture taking afterwards and then yep, packed yep. up with their gifts and food to allow Brenda and I just to collapse on the chairs at the end of the day. <laughs> it For, was a very long I love day. that you called the compound, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I love that you called the compound. Do you call that call it the compound to your friends and family or is it is that just a you know everybody you know the football everybody. listener? Everybody the, the everybody compound, who, the swing compound. I love it. Who knows B&B far and wide knows that we live at the compound on Long Hill Road here in Wallingford. <laughs> hey, Joe, it's our last show of 2018. Another year has passed. Another yep. year. We both got a year older. I'm a little, as you know, yep. older than you. I hit but I'm catching another up. Milestone. I'm catching up, Bob. Another milestone speed limit I hit this year, 
the big 6-0. And I thought about 50-plus years in the hobby, of which realistically 35 years have been active in the hobby. The other 15 years, I didn't know it was a hobby. I I just bought cards and had fun. So (laughs) we need to talk about our year in review, once again, our annual show. And there was all sorts of things that occurred in 2018, both yep. uh, very, very interesting, very possibly startling to the hobby, possibly very, very contented with the hobby, so on and so forth. And I'm going to lead off by, by just doing a little little um, segue into 2018. Those who know me, and and you know this for a fact. I I had a complete, or I have a complete run of Topps football card sets up to the last year they printed in 2015. Yeah. Now 16, yep. 17, and now this year is another year. I have not opened any new packs of football cards, and this year, I I just felt I felt weird about not buying any cards. So you know the times I'm in Target, the times I'm in Walmart. I try to, you know, poke around, see what's there, so on and so forth. And it just it just didn't do it for me, if you know what I mean. I didn't have the feel like I had years ago where I used to open, try to open a pack a day, depending on where I went. Inevitably, football cards were everywhere, and I could always buy a pack or stop at a couple stores locally, and they know I know they always had football cards there, and I would pick up a pack, so on and so forth. But that ended. That's ended now. Now it's the third year I haven't opened up any new football, and I'm okay with it. I, I, I really am. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. The only thing I've collected is the Packers, Police, 16, 17, and 18. Keep that run going. But I really have yeah. no inclination. I have no desire to, to just buy a box and break them. And even at the National this year, there were several new car dealers around me with the you know new wax boxes and so on and so forth. And I just I just didn't. I didn't feel like buying anything. So, a segue into 2018. Segue into our new year. It's it's just yep. You know, it's not there. Not there for me. I don't know. Yeah. No, I I haven't opened. uh, I haven't bought anything. I bought. uh, some 2001 S, you know, in about 2007, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I bought the, uh, the Mayo, the, the Mayo, uh, what they call it, the, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the second generation Mayo set they did. Oh, yeah, oh what, yeah, what, yeah. what do they yeah, call that? Yeah. The, yeah, the honorary set, I, I, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I bought a couple boxes of that and then I saved a couple boxes, uh, you know the, you know I don't, I don't know. You're right. It's uh, get, getting old. You know, get off my lawn kind of attitude. But uh, I I still when I want to rip wax, I still go back to something from the 70s or 80s. Uh, right. I, I have very fond right. memories of. I think it was Chicago National, or was it Baltimore, where I surprised you with a uh, graded wax pack of 1968, or no, it was 65 no. Philly, wasn't it? 65 Philly. I still have that open in each card, individual penny sleeves, and the wrapper right next to it on my counter. But you 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 opened it, and you said this was re-wrapped. Right. You know, and that was, you know, the the first inclination I had of resealed wax where I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, Bob's opened more 65 Philly than, you know, most human beings on earth. So you would know immediately. (laughs) I mean, it's just. It's it's interesting, you know, a graded wax pack, and you know, it was resealed. So, you know, it opened but, the door yeah, to many many discussions on 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 on, on unpure resealed rewrap. Yep. yep, resealed wax packs. Bad yep. bad situation. Uh, uh, you yeah, know, I'm with you, Captain. It's funny to me. I haven't opened it. Yeah. The one thing I would I would open if I really need you know a desire to open it is the eighty eight tops wax boxes because again I, yeah. I remember I, I opened enormous amount of those boxes I made a lot of sets back then 
and I just like the feel of the card. I, I like the thousand yard uh, set in it, and you know, at that that year '88, I was opening. And again, it's it's pretty interesting. We're looking at 30 years ago now. '88, I was opening up clear team action packs. <laughs> I made several sets of those, and I must have made at least seven, eight, 88 caps of selling them off over the years, especially in the beginning, because everybody wanted them type of thing. But if I had to go back yeah. to something, I'd probably do, I'd do either 88 Fleur or do 88 Tops. Yeah. Well, I told you the story about my 88 Tops where I was on the, the PSA boards, and some guy mentioned he had, I, I don't remember how many boxes of 88 Wax. <laughs> and he, he was trying to sell it. But the problem was, is, you know, you know, he wanted like $5 a box for it, and shipping was $4. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yep. And I'm in Portland. He was in Seattle, as it turns out. And I was like, tell you what, meet me in Centralia, Washington, which is centrally located between Portland and, and, and Seattle, oddly enough. And uh, I'll buy them from you. He brought them down, and I showed up in my Ford Bronco and filled it. I mean, back seat, trunk, everything. <laughs> uh, I, and I forget how many boxes he had, but you forget how much that stuff starts to weigh when you start to add it up. I, I want to say... About like a hundred, hundred and ten boxes of eighty-eight tops. Oh man! And my, oh man! My my poor Ford Bronco looked like a pregnant rat going down the the freeway, <laughs> just sagging its back. And uh, made it home, unloaded all this, you know, useless wax, and I proceeded. To, I was putting the same thing that you did. I was trying to put together an all PSA ten run of eighty-eight tops. So I wow. started opening wax, you know. And, you know, you open about 20 boxes of that, you start to get bored. I'd come back a week later, open four or five, and, you know, and eventually I ended up with about 70, 80% of the way through that set, all PSA 10. And then, as I often do, I got bored and stopped. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. So, um, yeah, so I got my fix hey, of 88 in, wax. But. Back in 88. I, I I was excited because I was I was I remember distinctly one show I put them out for like twenty five dollars a set, and I sold them right away, and and I said wow I, I made some serious money on it because I was paying ten dollars and eighty cents a box for them at the time I bought them wholesale from a candy wholesaler here locally, and I remember I bought a case of them broke them up made the sets out of them and I was selling the Bo Jackson rookie cards for whatever you know buck or two which was huge money back then huge. And yeah. uh, great memories, with it, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. But Absolutely. we're going to go back in time to the past 12 months, and I'm going to lead off by making a couple comments and, and hearing your feedback on the area of, of card shows in general and the national card yeah. show that we were both at this past summer in Cleveland. And I'm going to lead off. For those people who um, know and don't know, I, I live in Wallingford, Connecticut. Connecticut has many shows through the course of the month, but they're not just card shows. They're stamp, coin, card, collectible-type shows. And there's only two remaining pure card shows in the state, and they're very good shows. They, 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 they get a good clientele. They get a lot of dealers. They get some dealers from out of state. And it's it's pretty you know pretty busy for an afternoon so on and so forth. The other shows are are so so because you only have a few dealers that may have cards. Most of them are you know the other type of collectibles so on and so forth. So as far as shows are going locally, I found it pretty interesting to see same clientele, same dealers, some same inventory. Uh, not much has changed as far as local shows. Now fast forward. Uh, this past uh, November, I'm in uh, Virginia with senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, Jeff Payne, and several other uh, members of the hobby. Mike Blesdale would be uh, to mention another person, and uh, our friend Kurt there. We took a ride up to the Valley Forge, Pennsylvania show, which was actually outside of Philadelphia. And uh, quite interesting of a show to walk around. But my biggest comment on the whole show was so many dealers just basically sitting there at their tables, totally ignoring 
the customers around the tables. Now, again, a simple, you know, hi, can I help you with anything? Or, you know, don't be afraid to ask. I'll show you whatever you want to look at. Kind of goes a long way to try to make a sale. I know I'm old-fashioned. Without a doubt. But to me, I think that's probably the best way to to try to make a sale. And and anybody who knows me at the National, I try to acknowledge anybody that walks by the table because you never know what they may or may not be looking for type of thing. And I, I was, you know, be honest, I was on the hunt for the uh, Oakland Raiders 1965 Tops Magic Rub-Off that I need to finish that set. Only one dealer uh, had some of them. He did not have the Raiders one, however, so on and so forth. But the four of us basically commented on the on the drive home, why would you set up at a show and spend all that money and then ignore your customers? It really doesn't yep. make sense to me. You know what I mean? And I, I, was, I was just kind of taken back by how poor, you know, that customer service was there for, for customers. Not all, now there were many dealers who were very attentive. You know, they went out of the way to, to, you know, try to show you stuff, so on and so forth. But there were other dealers, man. I, I felt like I was Fair back little. in the early 1990s again. When uh, yeah. you just, you know, opened the wax box, just put the cards out and were expected to pick and pay whatever price they were type of situation. So, uh, yeah. Any thoughts on that, Joe? I know you don't you don't go to a lot of you I don't do. have many shows out there anymore. But uh, let's First, let's try to parallel it to the national. So, yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. First, I wanted to get the the uh, you know the the elephant out of the room, the obvious East Coast bias towards sports co- sh- you know shows over the West Coast. <laughs> uh, you know, I find it appalling. I mean, <laughs> the 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 local show that I've that uh, here is here in Portland that uh, happens once a month, and they just dropped it to once a quarter, and it was it was basically in the hallways of a strip mall at that uh, you know at, you know here in Portland. Wow! And it was the same like nine dealers showing up with the you know beat up forty eight leaf you know one car. I mean mm-hmm. I don't know it was bad. And I used used to meet a buddy a dealer of mine you know buddy there about you know, twice a year, wander the halls for about an hour, look at the same useless stuff, and then go grab lunch. And then, he'd, you know, he'd bring me all the good stuff. And he was there just trying mm-hmm. to buy collections and, and, you know, unopened wax. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the East Coast, obviously, higher population, uh, better collections, more money. I mean, whatever you want to call it, there's just there's way more shows. And I get it, but it doesn't mean I don't miss being able to go to shows. Uh, Seattle's got one, and they hold in a school once a year, and you know that's where I met Mike Blaisdell several years ago. He was yeah. up there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I've only been to that one three years, so but part of it's me. I just need I need to be I need to go to those more, perhaps, perhaps set up at one. Who knows? But but yeah, I totally get it. Uh, you know, people barely look up, people barely acknowledge you when you walk up, and maybe you had a question, maybe you wanted to look at something, and if somebody was there. Right. Maybe you'd look at it, but if somebody's not and you have a hard time getting their attention, you just move on. Uh, right. On the flip side right. of that, if you're a dealer and all day long people ask, you know, you stand up, pull a card out, they go, hmm, and then, you know, $7 card, I can get that on eBay for 5 thanks, and they walk off, I would imagine that's a little disheartening. So right. I, I, I can't put myself I, you know, in their shoes, but... It's funny. One guy, uh, one dealer who was set up at the at the Philly show, there, the Valley Fork show. Everything I, I, the stuff I was looking at, he just gave me the going rate on eBay, and then he translated to his price. And I just find that fascinating because when I asked him, you know, what do you want for this? What do you want for that? And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to nickel and dime the guy. I, just, I was just curious what he was he was asking for, and he had a. Uh, 1961, uh, the Dell Pro Football Magazine that had the uh, wallet pictures in it, the uh, Fleer wallet pictures. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and yep, it, was in, it was in paper, perfect paper shape. Thin. Yeah. Yep. It was in perfect shape. The 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 photos were in, intact in the magazine. The little toning on the pages wasn't that bad. So I all I said to him, could I look at it? And then he started into the pitch. And he basically said, do you know how much this goes for on eBay? And I said, well, not, not, I haven't really checked it. I'm just looking at it right now. He said, the lowest price you will find it on eBay is $400, and you'll have to pay shipping for it. So he says, I can sell this to you right now for $375. Okay. So I said, oh, well, that's, you know, I'm, I, I was 
I wasn't trying to, you know, negotiate anything or, or whatever. But I said, well, that's a, that's a fair price on it. And he says, tell me you can't get it on eBay. And, and he just kept going on and on about it. And I and I wanted to just say to him, why don't you just let eBay go? And you got people with ready cash here. Why don't you just see how you could approach it if you really want to sell it rather than compare it to eBay? Maybe a lot of the people here yeah. are tired of eBay and they actually want to, you know, physically pick up something and buy something. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it just yeah. amazed me listening to this guy and everything he had. Basically, I had, I had the eBay price and his price on it. And it was not the point. I felt sorry for the guy. I just wanted to buy something from him. But then I said, nah, I, I, I just, there's nothing there I really want. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Well, we had a good chuckle well, on that story ob- driving home. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't recognize you being, you know, the ambassador <laughs> of football. Uh, so perhaps next year we need a, a cape and a crown or something like that, or a, maybe just a T-shirt. Or about, you know, my, I, you know, Jeff and, you know, Jeff and Mike Blaisdell yeah, walking ahead of you and throwing 88 tops, you know, on the ground, you know, like, like rose petals in front of royalty, just kind of sprinkling the ground gridiron, so that your feet never touch. I did have my gridiron greats polo shirt on with our logo. So he could have recognized it, but he just glanced at it briefly and went right into eBay. Well, but I, I, I was just, well, I was just so astounded, astounded listening to the guy. I felt, I really felt bad for it. Yeah. I really did. Really felt bad for well, it. Well, at some point, we need, uh, we need, we need two people, you know, carrying carrying a banner above you. So, something like that. <laughs> if we look at the uh, national, the national, uh, yeah, yeah. Saw a lot of different things. Coming up. A lot of, you know, we were both on the floor. Yep. You 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 were more active than me because you got out. You were you weren't behind the table. <laughs> So obviously, yeah. obviously the national. But the, but the I did have a lot of fun trying trying to get people to subscribe to Gridiron Greats. I do enjoy you doing didn't. that. You know, just taking about half I know an hour. You like, it, it, yeah, I know you anybody wearing anything remotely football stick. Excuse me, sir. Have you heard of Gridiron Greats? I, I noticed you're wearing a you know Emmett Smith jersey. So, obviously, you're a football fan. If you don't subscribe to Gridiron Greats, you may as well just take that jersey off because you're not really a football fan. That's kind of my, my standard intro. <laughs> so. Yep, yep, yep. And, I, and, you're, and you'd be surprised after the, uh, the show, I, I, I run that, that uh, little coupon flyer. I get several of them in the mail, and they say, I, I truly enjoyed your sidekick, whatever the guy's name was, trying to sell me the magazine. <laughs> oh, no way. There's my check for one year. Thank you. Joe Smith, you know, Canton, Ohio. Okay. So I got to oh, show you. I got I to gotta, I gotta scan those and show them. You'll, you'll enjoy, enjoy looking at them. Well, you know, again, going back to National Cleveland, um, I enjoyed thoroughly staying downtown, even though it was a pain in the neck to get to the yeah. show every day and get back home. Yeah. But at the same time, yep. I, I, I was a little concerned that I, I kind of saw a lot of the same stuff I saw four years ago. Now, again, Nashville was there in 2014. Chicago, uh, Nashville's been there quite a, quite a few times. I'm starting to see, and I hate to say this, I mean, you know, going on 10, 11, 12 Nationals now, I'm starting to see a lot of the same stuff. Am I in the minority, yeah. or am I overlooking things, or what's going on here? Well, you you know, obviously, you know, different people go to the national for different things. I mean, and you hear from the dealers, uh, and most of the dealers will say, we go to the national, you know, you know, to, one, to set up, yes, but the majority of their business comes from collectors reaching out saying, you know, I have a collection to sell. So, right. you know, the... You know, so most of the dealers are after meeting somebody, you know, in the hotel lobby who's selling a collection or driving to their home. So uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree after about the fourth or fifth national being held at Chicago or, you know, two or three in a row being held there. I think it was two in a row. You know, you pretty yeah. much saturated the market. Anybody who had a collection to sell has sold it or maybe, you know, there, there's, there's a peak cutoff. There's a, a terminal velocity or whatever you want to call it where – 
you know, there's, it's just, there's not as many going on, uh, you know, which reinforces the idea of a different city perhaps, uh, you know, right. but, right. you know, I, I, I go there to meet friends, to hang out with, with friends and, you know, you know, uh, you know, compadres, uh, to have a few drinks, to get some good meals, uh, hang out with people. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I might buy a few football cards. I was in Cleveland with my son. So, you know, we went, mm-hmm. to, the, we went to a baseball game. We, you know, we walked the floor. I didn't get to walk the floor as much as usual, just because I had my son in town. He'd get he'd get bored. Right. Uh, right. Right. But, but right. I I gotta say I, I, I we bought one thing and that was a Lego set. I didn't buy much at yep. the national, and it was mostly because right. I didn't really have anything I was after. And you know, I I probably made it through seventy percent of the floor, and what I saw, uh, you know, what I saw, I, I wasn't interested in collecting. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to Chicago. It's it's a great layout. Uh, I love that venue, and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it's close to everything. So, well, the, the big thing with Chicago is you're right across the street from the hotels and the restaurants. It's much easier yep. if you fly into um, um, O'Hare or whatever it's called now. You just take your shuttle right into the convention area, and you're all set. So it's 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 a much easier um, tra- transportation wise and logistically wise to get around so on and so forth. But I'll be interested to see this coming year in, in 2019, what, what difference in material, if anything, we're going to see there as compared to prior years. I got to say this, when the national was in Atlantic city and many guys like you from the West coast did not come out yeah. and a lot of Midwestern yeah. people didn't come out. It had a really feel of a, a strong East Coast show, almost like the Philadelphia show. And I thought it was interesting. I got the same feel for the Valley Forge Philly show as I did for the uh, Atlantic City National that it was set up at uh, several years ago. It was pretty, pretty uh, good comparison, pretty interesting to see at the same time. I thought, I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting to see. But again... I'm more used to shows. I see more shows. I have more shows yes. here. I'm very fortunate that way. I try to support a couple guys who run the shows by setting up once or twice a year at their shows, knowing full well. I, I probably am not going to do that great, but uh, you know, I, I do want to have them keep you know keep those shows going because that's the way you get people in, get them to you know physically pick up the stuff and buy it. That's what it's all about. So uh, shows are shows are always interesting to me. I, I, you know, have enough of eBay and any other, you know, one million auction sites out there type of thing. I, you know, reach a point of saturation. That's what it really comes down Good to. Point. You, know, you can only look at yeah. look at the same stuff over and over again. How many times? You know, that type yeah. of situation. Good point. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. it's it's amazing. All right. Um, next topic. A lot of stuff came to the market this year for sale. Or for auction. Indeed. A lot of different things. A lot of different things came out. Any thoughts, ideas, comments on what we saw get into the market? Yep. You'd mentioned uh, Mike Blaisdell's set in our, you know, in our, you know, pre-podcast notes. Uh, can't, mm-hmm. can't glaze over that. Uh, and I think there's still material enough for a couple more auctions, isn't there? I mean, didn't John right, say that? Right. Right. Right, right. So a couple more options come so, out with their stuff. So, so the Blaisdell collection is still trickling things out. Uh, MSB's last auction, I mentioned, uh, you know, the very rare 1929 Rogers Pete Ken Strong. There was also, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know Rogers Pete, uh, you know Red Grange in there. You know the uh, 26, uh, you know the the you know 26 advertising 1926 advertising right. piece. Red Grange, uh, you know, just some very rare stuff in there, and and the prices reflected it. Uh, you, you know, it's it's just it's it's very cool to see very rare. I mean, by rare, we could almost define that as you know less than a population five. I mean, how many of those Ken Strong, Roger Pete's are there? How many of the Red Grange ones? There's like three of right. them known to exist. Uh, right. You know that that's that's the definition right. of rare. So uh, to me, but. You know the, the the Mayo set that came to auction. I mean, there's a lot of a uh, lot of good stuff that came up, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just the mm-hmm. MSB auction. I think, you know, mm-hmm. 
I think uh, yeah, a very rare uncut sheet. Yep. Multiply all the different auctions out there with a lot of different, you know, pre World War Two material that was that was found in the market. I mean that that's a lot of stuff that comes to the market all at once, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh you know, uh Love of the Game had a couple of, you know, good uh you know, good partial sets that came up. They just uh they just sold that, you know, you and I were talking about it in pre uh you know, b- you know, before the show they just sold a you know PSA eight nineteen twelve Jim Thorpe you know Swedish Olympics postcard PSA eight right. the closest one after it was a PSA five point five so I mean not only the highest grade but you know highest grade by a long shot uh, you know pretty rare items and it's just it's fun to see these things come up amazing truly amazing yeah I. Uh, I bought a you know partial 1950 Bowman uncut sheet from MSB. You know, so my uh, my uncut sheet uh, collection got a little bit bigger. I you know I'd mentioned before the show my uh, you know I, I I think at the beginning of the year I bought a 68 tops uncut sheet. Still on right, the hunt right. for that elusive 1935 Chickle uncut sheet. If anybody listening has a 35 Chickle uncut sheet, please reach out to me via Bob. So. Unbelievable! Un- the unbelievable sheets that you have in your collection. It's it, it's what I started collecting. You know, after you know, I had a had a really vast uncut or you know, excuse me, or uh, wax pack collection. Just I sold it off after just learning of so much resealing. And when you think about autographs and you know how how you know how bad the fake autograph thing is, and just I don't know, I just. Mm-hmm. I've always loved uncut sheets, and it's really where I started migrating to, you know, after, you know, about four or five years ago. And, and to me, it's still another, you know, basically unfounded area of the hobby where a lot of people know virtually nothing about it. And, you know, it's truly yeah. amazing to see what's what's out in the market there, you know. And, yeah. and for and in, your, in your case, you just got a, a true um, historical perspective of, you know the print runs and the, and the card sets on an uncut sheet. Truly amazing. Yeah. Truly amazing. I, I envy yeah. that collection to say the least. Oh, thank you. Uh, coming from coming from uh, the captain, uh, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> if you don't mind, Bob, you and I were you and I were talking, you know, before the show about uh, the football playoffs, where you know we're now you know uh, 15 games into the you know into the playoffs. Uh, or, you know, into the season. So the playoff scene is starting to really, you know, you know, uh, become more, uh, you know, more solid. You can see where your teams are, what seed they're going to be, who's in, who's out, uh, mm-hmm. who's vying for, you know, you know, top 10 draft place, place. And I don't like, uh, I don't like kicking the captain when he's down, but I don't know if you noticed your Packers are six and eight right now. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it quite well. And uh, yeah, there are numbers, several people. Numbers. Yep. Several people reached out to me after McCarthy got canned, and I said, uh, "I said I made two points. Number one, with the new general manager coming on this season, he should have been let go at the beginning of the before the season started. I don't think it was oh, a wow. wise idea to let him go. Let him go when he when they let him go, because now you put Joe Philbin yep. on the hot seat, and he he's got very little." To me, there's so little talent on that team this year. It's not even funny. So I'm amazed that you know they're going to end up possibly being one or two games under 500. So I, I had no yep. no delusions of grandeur that we're going to go anywhere this year. And Rodgers is a step yep. off. I mean, he's just not. He just doesn't look strong like he used to. That's really you know yeah, reality I, now. You know, broke his clavicle early on in the season. Uh, but the Packers are number three in the NFC North behind the Bears. Who are quietly very good at eleven and four. I just right. I, I didn't know the Bears were that good, you know, coming into the season. But they're right up there with the Rams and and uh, you know and the Saints, Vikings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, eight and six. Uh, but you know, with the Pack basically being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs and the the Seahawks beating the mighty Kansas City Chiefs over the weekend, uh, right. you know to. Yeah. You know, to go to go to nine and six and to clinch a playoff berth, but the NFC looks pretty strong this year. So, um, you know, 
somebody's got to get bumped out in wild card, I guess. So <laughs> fingers crossed, but who knows? Just uh, it got me thinking, and you'd mentioned you know McCarthy, and got me thinking. I wonder how Bob feels about old Mike McCarthy. Is he up there as one of the greatest coaches, or you know, does this last couple of years, you know, uh, you know, kind of taint it? A talent like Aaron well, Rodgers only got, comes comes along once in a while. I got I you got know? mixed feelings about McCarthy, and I and I do give him the benefit of the doubt for the simple reason. Uh, Ted Thompson, in my opinion, the last few drafts he was involved in really didn't show a lot one way or the other. For whatever reason, yep. they, they were fixated against free agency. So he really didn't have the talent, in my opinion, the last four years really to do much. And he did the best he could. But too many poor coaching decisions on the part of McCarthy basically yep. get him in these last two seasons. And, and you know, sometimes you see him on the sidelines – and he looks like the the the, the, the uh, deer in the headlight type of look. You know what happened? I'm stunned. Now what do I do? Yeah. And is he listening to yep. his assistant coaches? Is he listening to his his uh, headphones with them screaming at him? You know, do this, do this, do this, <laughs> or is he just you know, you know, stunned by the whole thing? So uh, you know, yeah. he he he'll go down as a good coach. I don't think he he'll be a legendary coach. For the simple reason he only got one bowl, uh, one uh, one yep. victory in the bowl in the Super Bowl, and uh, you know he 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 ran it up quite a bit several seasons, but he couldn't win the big game, and and that's yep. going to be his legacy in the long that, run, I think. That's exactly what got me thinking. I mean, you take a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you know, just a talent, and to get one ring with Aaron Rodgers is almost a shame, you know. But it right. got me thinking. Right. You know, so I looked back at some of the coaches. Lombardi, 122 games coached, went 89 and 29. Mike Holmgren, 112 games coached. I didn't know it was that few. 75 and 37, you know, .67. Mike McCarthy, 204 games coached. uh, Almost as much as Lombardi and Holmgren combined. 125 (laughs) and 77, .618. You know, but one Super Bowl ring in there. if your team wins a Super Bowl a decade, you're doing really, really good. Uh, you know, you know, who is a better? And that got me into this, uh, into this rounds. You know, Bob Swick quiz, which was, who was your better coach in your mind, Mike Holmgren or Mike McCarthy? Which was the better Mike? I, in my opinion, Holmgren, because he made better decisions, tougher decisions to get the Packers over the top. I think McCarthy second-guessed himself too many times with regards to uh, the decisions he made. And, and I've, I've watched him really make bad decisions. The Cardinals game that cost him his job was just utterly ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. I felt like I was watching a, <laughs> you know, a junior college team out there, not the Green Bay Packers. You know what I mean? I it say was, Holcomb it was pretty is bad. a better coach. Yeah. Yeah. All right, which leads me to question number two. Who's the better coach, Mike Holmgren under the Packers or Mike Holmgren as the Seattle Seahawks great coach? Won a Super Bowl with each team. I say he he did an excellent job with the Seahawks, but I think his heart was always with the Packers to a certain degree because he had Favre. But at the same time, with the Seahawks, he basically, you know, he had the pedigree of a, of a winner, and he was able to take it, you know, to Seattle and do the same thing. And that's the sign of, a, of an excellent coach. You know what I mean? So I will, I will be prejudiced and say, you know, as a Packers coach rather as, than a Seahawks coach. And obviously you would say Seahawks <laughs> over Packers. So. <laughs> So uh, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a loaded question one way or the other. So, Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I apologize. let me clarify that. He won a Super Bowl with the Packers. He took the Seahawks to the Super Bowl in 2005. Right, right. The great rep, right. referee, referee gate, you know, uh, you know yeah. Super Bowl, where the referees were on the TV more than the players. Everybody stood around the water cooler that Monday talking about how bad the officiating was which is yeah. how you want a game yeah. to end. Okay. Yeah. 
the, the next, but the next still, question, but you know, again, uh, so again, to get get to the Super Bowl, it's not an easy task. I mean, you know, so it's huge. He's done it. He, you know, he was there three times. So that, you know, that that's pretty good. I can't, I can't, yeah, you know, somebody, can't argue with that. Yeah, somebody for Christmas got me a Seattle Seahawks NFC champion sweatshirt that year. Or, uh, excuse me, you know, uh, uh, you know, NFC champion sweatshirt. And I was like, okay, I may as well wear a sweatshirt that says number two loser on it. Just <laughs> NFC champion doesn't cut it. I'm sorry. It's Super Bowl or bust to me. Uh, okay. So some quick, uh, some, some quick, quick questions for you. Uh, obviously we're going with the Seahawks versus Packers theme. I mean, you know, if you had to pick this year, Seahawks, Going nine and six, or Packers going six and eight? Who's better? Who's better? <laughs> you're, you're actually I, asking that question. I, I, think I had to throw it off with the Seahawks question. Okay. All right. Cheeseheads or twelfth man? Cheeseheads or twelfth man, Captain? Yeah, oh, that's tough. Cheeseheads all the way. So it takes guts to wear a cheesehead. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're you're at, you're at Lambeau Field with uh, seventy thousand other cheeseheads, it's it's very simplistic to wear one, so not a problem. Yep, easy. Which takes me to question number two: Lambeau or Seahawk Stadium, which is better? Oh, that there's there is no comparison. There's if if you have not experienced Lambeau, you, you haven't really experienced football, as far as I'm concerned. Lambeau experience is just unbelievable. And the one thing, the first I, time Brenda and I went went to Lambeau, I gotta I gotta throw this out. After the game, we drove to Fuzzy Thurston's uh, uh, bar and grill, <laughs> which is outside of Green Bay. Fuzzy sets up yep. every game when he was alive. And uh, for those people that know, Fuzzy lost his voice box, so he's using a um, larynx to to talk through. So we go in there, and uh, it wasn't that busy. And Fuzzy's there, so I'm not sure. I got my Bart Starr jersey on. Brenda has her jersey on. And he says, where are you guys from? And we said, Wallingford, Connecticut. And he and he grabbed my shoulder, and he shook me. And he said, Packer fans are everywhere. He says, I'm so happy you're from Connecticut and you came here. And uh, it was just so cool. And I got, I got a beautiful picture of him and me. He's got his arm around me, showing all the, the Super Bowl rings, and it's just such wow. a coolest, coolest picture. To but to me, no comparison. You know, obviously I'll get out to Seattle one day and see a game, but I I know I'm prejudiced toward Lambeau, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta say, Seahawks Stadium's beautiful and loud, but I would agree with you, nothing like Lambeau. I was half expecting to say he, you know, Fuzzy grabbed you, shook your head, and said, "One of the greatest football minds in the world." Bob Swick, the ambassador of football from Wallingford, Connecticut. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. So he just asked where we were oh, okay. from. Was it? But, but he was yeah, such okay. a nice, such a nice guy, and the place was so cool because it was a, <laughs> it was a real hole in the wall, and um, and he had Packer fans everywhere, and he had a little back room where he used to set up. It was so cool. It was just a great experience. The other, the other big okay. thing I will mention, and I've said this before, I've never seen. 70,000 people orderly walk out of a stadium, get in their cars, and drive away with no traffic jams, no accidents, nobody getting hit on the sidewalk, nobody driving up on the sidewalk to get around other people, so on and so forth. It was just amazing. I'm used to the Meadowlands where it's every man, woman, and child for themselves leaving a game. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we're like like an hour and a half from from the stadium, but and, uh, to get home, it would be like three and a half hours to get out of there type of situation. Yep. It's just ridiculous. So, yep. <laughs> Well, as you know, the uh, Green Bay Packers started in 1921 and the mm-hmm. Seahawks in 1976. So they're, they're close, they're, you know, in their, in their history. Uh, very, very close. Uh, so let, <laughs> let's go back in time to start. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, let's go <laughs> I always say, you know, Seahawk history is like comparing the American history to European history, where it's like, okay, there you know, there right. are buildings that are you know that, that were around before America was discovered in Italy. Uh, so let's go back to some historical, uh, you know, quarterbacks 
you know, through you know through our team's time. So mm-hmm. quick uh quick choice. Bart Starr or Jim Zorn? Who would you pick? Uh I would say Starr. <laughs> Just by a nose. Just by a nose. I'll I'll put you down I'll put you down for a a, a coin flip on that one, Bart Starr. Uh <laughs> And then in modern times, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? Well, you know, they're, they're pretty they're, – they're somewhat even, in my opinion. A lot, to me, will depend on what Wilson does this year, how far they go in the playoffs, if they actually end up in the Super Bowl. But they're pretty – you know, they're pretty even one way or the other. I know Wilson is younger than Rodgers, and he's, he's stayed pretty healthy for his career. So that that, yeah. that could be a toss up in the long run. You know, they're both still playing, so they're they're, they're still there, so Alright. My final question. The Seahawks are known <laughs> for the they used to be known for the wave. Back in the kingdom we'd do the wave where we just you know, everybody you know what I mean. And yeah, now yeah. we're known for the twelfth man roar where, you know, we take pride in how many off you know, how many uh you know false starts we get on an offense. So the wave or the twelfth man roar or the Lambo leap, which is better. Uh, the leap by if you got to see the leap in person, it's invigorating to say the least. The wave to right. me see the leap. is is yeah. is just too prefabricated. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just it's just you know it's going to happen type of thing. The leap can only happen after a touchdown in the end zone okay. on the return. All right. Well, I've tallied the points. I've tallied the points here, and you took uh, you took five points for the Packers, and then one tie with Rodgers and Russell Wilson. I'd say you're slightly biased <laughs> towards the Green Bay Packers, Captain. So we'll just we'll just, we'll call that a we'll, we'll call that a a Packers win. Obviously, <laughs> one of the one of the few they had this season. At the same time, <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you for indulging me. Uh, our year-end captain, Bob Swick, the ambassador of football quiz. And now we'll uh, we'll get back to our previously scheduled agenda for you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Zorn versus Star. Uh, that was a good one. I, I enjoyed that. Hey. It was just like somebody asked hey, my... me the other. Uh, they asked <laughs> me the other day what what I thought about Don Horn as a quarterback and. They know that I'm friends with him on Facebook. He's got a pretty good Facebook page and stuff. And uh, I've been communicating with him. And, uh, you know, I said, Don, Don filled his niche when he had to, you know. He was in the dark ages there. You know, he, they needed a yeah, quarterback. Okay. He went out there and he played. That was it, you know. And then they didn't have a lot yeah. of talent back then either. So it was tough. It you was know, when, tough. I was, when I was looking this, when I was looking some of the material up for this quiz, I'd forgotten. I, I knew Bart Starr was a quarterback or was the coach for the Packers. I just didn't know he'd mm-hmm. coached that long. I mean, he was he was like 180 oh, games or something like that. Yeah. I didn't realize he coached yeah. that long. I mean, uh, yeah. amazing. But yeah. Not a very good yeah, winning was... record, like sub 500. But you know. No, he he had you know he had some bright spots, but he had mostly again very very difficult ability to bring good players into Green Bay, and I think that was always his downfall. And remember, the, the the biggest issue that happened is they got rid of Bart Starr to bring in Forrest Gregg as the new coach. Yep. And that was, you know, unheard of. You know, teammate one teammate taking over for another teammate. So there was some animosity yeah, I, there. Uh, but obviously everything, you know, worked out in the long run. And sadly, both guys yeah. are not in good shape right now, and, and it's just, yeah. it was just—it was very interesting. And again, Forrest Gregg, you know, he was a much better coach at other with other teams than he was with the Packers. And, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's just I'm, the one. I'm sure you watched the. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you watched the Vince Lombardi, uh, you know, biography. I think HBO had it like four or five years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. What, yeah, yeah. what stunned me is, well, it, it didn't stun me how distant he was from his kids because with that kind of greatness, obviously with with great strength comes an opposing weakness. And to be that focused and be that diligent means you're lacking somewhere else. Uh, but right. what was fascinating is uh, 
you know, his brief stint in Washington for the Redskins, uh, you know, when he had Sonny Jurgensen, uh, Lombardi basically said Sonny Jurgensen was the greatest quarterback he'd ever coached. And if he'd had him at right. Green Bay, who knows what they would have done. I thought that was fascinating and definitely a tip of the hat to Sonny Jay. Right. You know? Right. Right. And you got to remember, Bart Starr, you know, wasn't really given a free hand until the 60s, in the, the mid-late 60s. And he finally came into being as a, as a very good quarterback. His first few years with the Packers, he had a lot of problems. And they were, you know, they were, you know, they had other quarterbacks yeah. that were using Bart. You know, they had Barkowski. They, they had they were using other guys, and uh, it was a completely different, you know, different situation than when he basically set the star. You're my quarterback. Just do it. You know, that type of thing. So, yeah. but Lombardi is, Lombardi is the, my opinion, the, the one of the most unique personalities and coaches of NFL football and of NFL history. And uh, to me, he can never be duplicated as much as people say Belichick is a Lombardi type. I don't think he is uh, because Belichick has been around for such a long time. And, you know, you're seeing a slight downturn with the, with the Patriots now, and he just doesn't have, he doesn't have the response to get, get him back on track. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, it's, a, it's interesting to see. I always love yeah. looking at and analyzing coaches in both college and professional football. I, th- I think it's amazing what they end up doing, and it's amazing – to see what their records are in the long run. And it's amazing to see how many players try to make it in coaching and how many players don't make it in coaching at the same time. And it's, it's, yeah. it's fascinating to or how many studying, so. Or, or ex-players. Like Peyton Manning has a show, you know, where he will discuss, you know, you know the calls. I mean, he'll go over a game and, right. I mean, he gets very technical. It's fascinating. And, and Tony Romo yep. is, you know, as much as, much as I dislike the Cowboys, hearing him call a game is amazing because you know, yep. Uh, yep. you know, the team will team will line up, you know, pre-snap for a play, and he'll be like, all right, you know, you notice that tight end is out, you know, they're gonna, you know, th- that's usually a post pattern, and then you'll see the guy run a post. He he does an amazing right. job, not um, not dumbing it down like Gruden used to dumb down the play call, you know, the uh, you, you know the announcing uh, to to the right. audience. I think people love hearing how people say, it. I mean, you know, you get in a huddle and you hear them say 26 blue, you know, switchback red. And you're like, what the heck was that? Right, but to right, hear, right. to hear somebody break it down and say, you know, my son asked me the other day, cause we were watching a game and he heard the quarterback say, you know, 54 is the mic. And after about the third time, he's like, what's that mean? And I'm like, well, the mic is the middle linebacker and the quarterback's coming up and saying who the free floater, who the middle linebacker is. And somebody's got to right, pick right. him up. You know, either the running backs or the fullbacks got to pick him. Somebody's got to pick that guy up because he's a free floater. So you, they're pointing mm-hmm. out, and he's like, he's like, you know, interesting because he played linebacker, you know, in his, you know, in his pee wee football. So it's pretty interesting, mm-hmm. you know, even, mm-hmm. even at that, even at that level, yeah, at that level, people are calling it out. You know, it's pretty right. interesting, right? And that, and that, that's that's the beauty of football because it's strategy. And if if football is actually played, if you eliminate all the you know, the end zone celebrations, the, the chronic penalties, and just let the game play out, you, you see a fascinating strategy literally evolve in every play if it's coached correctly, mm-hmm. you know, and played correctly at the same time. And that's what I always enjoyed about football was the strategy of it. You know, you're basically 22 yeah. guys on a line trying to get the ball 10 yards upfield and or to score the, <laughs> score the next uh, points. So uh, it's, it's truly amazing. It's an amazing game. I just dislike, to a certain degree, it being polarized by commercials. And this year, the, the officiating is, is horrific as far as all the different penalties yeah. being called. And, uh, the quarterback you know, and again, roughing the passer. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous what we're seeing. Just let it play it out. Just let it play. And if you're that worried about it, get rid of the artificial turf and go back to natural grass a grass field so people don't get you know injured you know getting tackled on what amounts to being concrete you know because that's what astroturf is you know artificial turf it's basically concrete so it's it's you know tough situation to call one way or the other all right one more yeah we're we're down to down to about five minutes again i want to 
Remind everybody, we're sponsored by MSB Sports Cards, MSBSportsCards.com, and BST Auctions. There, check out their website at BSTAuctions.com. Direction of the hobby for 2019 in the future. Put you on the spot right now. Your thoughts? Uh, you know, you we saw there was a big autograph of you know hullabaloo going on over at Net 54. Uh, a lot of fake autographs, mm-hmm. you know, namely namely from the T206 set. Uh, I think a lot more people are being wary of autographs, uh, you know, and unless you get them in person or, you know, or even through the mail, uh, you know, I, I just, I think you're going to see a lot more people distancing themselves from autographs. Uh, this, mm-hmm. You know, wax packs seem to be going strong, but that's still in the vintage wax packs. You saw the price of that 58 tops box, you know, of, of yeah, wax that yeah, went, I mean, yeah. that went for over $50,000. So obviously the market is still there for unopened wax, but I mean, to me it's got to come with some provenance, and that box had a little bit of provenance behind it about where it came from. So, you know, it it commanded a price. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. I hope uh, I hope next year sees people still staying away from uncut sheets for at least another year. So, uh, so, (laughs) so when that thirty-five chickle, when that thirty-five chickle uncut sheet comes to market. I can pick it up quietly and add it to my collection. So, <laughs> and and, we'll, and then will you say you're complete, or you'll be looking for <laughs> a few odds and ends? Never be to, complete. Always, to, always be growing, Captain. I don't want to tip anybody Never out there. So, so we have a yeah. bidding war on anything. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hoping the the market remains vibrant. We hope to see a lot more new collectors come into the market. I was, I was pleasantly, uh, I was, I was pleased to see in uh, the Valley Forge Philly show, there was a lot of um, probably fathers, uh, uncles with young kids there walking around and uh, they had interesting cards. They were looking at stuff. I could see some, some of them buying stuff with their own money, so on and so forth. So I thought that was a, that was a good sign there. And that's what I always hope. Yeah. You know, we got to have a future for the hobby. You got to have, Future collectors yep. out there who one one day will buy this stuff and and pass it down and and start to really appreciate the history of the game, which is what it's all about yep. in the long run. Yeah, and and who knows uh, the, as the economy softens a little bit this year, I mean you might see prices drop down a little bit. I mean, right. you know, if right. the Hall of Fame rookie card set was a stock index, you know, it it would be up almost you know 150 percent over the last four years. So, yep. Yep. All right, wrapping it up, I, I have a very short piece I'd like to mention. I want to thank everyone involved with Gridiron Greats Magazine and this podcast. And I'd like to thank, most of all, the people involved in the writing, the advertising, the thought process, the, the ideas, the, the many conversations I have, both on the phone, via email, with collectors, dealers, and, and people who write for the magazine. I'd like to thank Brenda for all she does with the magazine, laying it out, uh, which she's Indeed. doing right now because our next issue will be out in the first week, a little later, about January 10th or so, in the in the mail. Joe, I want to thank you as being my rock of a co-host here for the podcast for many years now as we look to our 2019 season, and we're going to – we're going to really try to focus on doing a twice a month uh, 2019 uh, season. This this season has been up and down for a variety of reasons. Timing, trying to get our guests lined up, so on and so forth. But we'll, we'll be back next year with the full slate. Thanking all the writers for Good Iron Greats Magazine, all the advertisers who make both this podcast and the magazine uh, be able to be printed and Distributed at the same time. I appreciate it. Joe, you got 10 seconds. Wrap it up. <laughs> I'd like to add a name to that. I'd like to thank the ambassador of football, our captain, Bob Swick, for being the rock, the Gibraltar of our hobby. Uh, always has and always will be. You're, you're, you're called the captain for a reason, my friend, and it is an honor to be your co-host. Well, thank you very much, Joe. You know, I... I appreciate all you do, and I, and I thank you for the compliments. And, uh, I thank everybody for the compliments. I 
going to that show in Valley Forge really uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. It was very uh, refreshing and invigorating for me. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Have a happy new year, and we'll see you next year. Take care. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.